Good evening. How's it going? Excellent. Thank you to the choir. That was fantastic. Appreciate it. All of you who spent time preparing that. Fantastic. Perfect for what we're going to be talking about tonight. I want to thank you to all of you who have paid for your subscriptions to my two-month dating program. <laughs> it will go a long way in Thailand. <laughs> I don't have any note from my children this evening. I actually have... A <laughs> Something a little worse. Oh, no. oh yes. Uh, this is actually true. I didn't write these, this particular note. Last night, my brother-in-law, who is a counselor here this week, took a picture of me in my Iowa State t-shirt and put it on our, on our family uh, iMessage group chat. I got destroyed by my family last night. <laughs> so my, it hurt. I had to make some promises. I, me too. I had to make some promises to my family to let me back in the fold. It took, it took work for them to re-invite me to Thanksgiving this year. Well, it's, it's another two-month program that we'll talk about later. <laughs> so, uh, that being said, uh, every now and then there's lost and found here in the camp, and I have been given a message for something that's been lost and found. In case this is yours, you may be looking for it. Oops, lost and found, one barely used Iowa State University t-shirt. <laughs> its color is gray, value not much. Price will be even less. If it's yours, hurry and claim it before it's put down. <laughs> Sorry. I won't burn it. <laughs> right. I'll keep it. I will keep it. Because it will remind me of my new friend in the back. I can't go back on our friendship now. He, he, man, if you'd have seen the look in his eyes as he was telling me to love my neighbor and what kind of a terrible missionary it was, Dr. Fouad, <laughs> I just can't do that. So I guess I'll keep it as a memento. Mementos. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15. We're going to start there this evening. Our theme and what we've been talking about is are you really writing for the brand? Are you really being authentic? Or have we changed the definition to fit how ourselves into what we consider and what some maybe definition of what we've made up ourselves so we can call ourselves, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, but are we really truly authentic? So the first night, Monday night, we talked about, are you authentically, truly saved? Does God truly live in you? Last night, we talked about the idea of surrender. 
And Romans 12.1 forces us to consider and to conclude that authentic worship is seen in surrender. So we say it this way. If that's true, when was the last time we really, truly, if it takes surrender, if in Paul's mind, in the mind of that first century church, giving our lives completely over to Christ, surrendering all to Christ, that is logical worship. We could ask the question, when was the last time, now, not did we just sing songs, when was the last time we really, truly worshiped? Tonight we're going to look at another theme that falls under this idea of authentically writing for the brand, authentic discipleship, authentically following Christ. What I want to talk about tonight is in Acts chapter 15 and 16, there are five awesome events that take place. Who doesn't love it when God does awesome things? Everyone wants that to happen. If you love God, if you have been here in the past and you have dedicated your life to Christ, maybe even through the ministry at camp and you have at different times or one time in your life you dedicate your life to Christ, you in your heart, when you were, you were inspired, you were motivated to dedicate your life to Christ, it was probably through hearing something of a story from the Bible of God doing awesome things. And you said, Lord, if you want me in that way, I'll do it. It's easy to dedicate ourselves to, to the awesome. There are five of these awesome things. What are they? As we're going to look at them, I want to go through one, one through five really quick, and then we're going to take some moments to talk about each one of these things. At the end of chapter 15, instead of one team, one missionary team being sent out by that church in Antioch, that church in Antioch now has the opportunity to send two missionary teams. That's awesome. Double the missionary force. Double the missionary power. Double the gospel exposure going out in different directions in that church in Antioch for the first time. Double. Then we go to the second awesome thing in verses 6 to, 16, 6 to 10 excuse me, of chapter 16. Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man calling out to Paul saying, come over and preach the gospel to us. Who wouldn't love it if God sent some kind of vision of a man in our mind and said, I want to hear the gospel. When was the last time someone cried out to you to hear the gospel? I don't hear that very often in Thailand. Paul got that. Awesome. The third awesome event, this lady named Lydia is saved in the city of Philippi. And she is the lady that when she is saved, she begs the Apostle Paul and Silas, she begs that first group of Christians, if she's worthy, if they see her worthy, to start the first church in Philippi in her house. Awesome. First Christian in a whole city. Awesome. And the fourth awesome event, a girl is set free from demon possession. She's been under demon control. She's set free. Awesome. And then that last awesome event, the Philippian jailer and his whole family. This Philippian jailer, this guy who had been a government worker, working in a jail, he's saved and his whole family is saved that very night. That is awesome. Five awesome events take place. 
Well, what I want to look at and the question I want us to answer tonight is simply this. How were these awesome events made possible? We all love it when God does awesome stuff. But throughout human history, throughout the history of the church, when awesome things happen, how do those awesome things take place? How does it happen? Let's go back to Acts chapter 15, the very end, that very last paragraph of Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. As we read through some of these verses, I want to ask the question, how did the church in Antioch have the blessing of sending out not one missionary team anymore, but have the blessing of sending out two missionary teams? How did it happen? How did this awesome event take place? Let's look at it together. Acts chapter 15. We're going to look through some Bible. So you need your Bible. I'd like you to follow along. We're going to move quickly through a number of verses this evening, similarly to what we did last night. All right, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 and following, we read in verse 36, and after some days, the apostle Paul said to Barnabas, his former traveling partner, or his traveling partner on his first missionary journey, right? Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's go back to those churches that we helped plant in those cities where we witnessed and saw people saved. Let's go back and encourage them and see how they're doing. Sounds like a great idea. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. This is either Barnabas' nephew or his cousin. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had what? Withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, gone w- and had not gone with them to the work. In their first missionary journey, The Apostle Paul, Barnabas go out. They're spreading the the gospel city to city. John Mark, either his nephew or his cousin, goes. Barnabas' nephew or cousin goes with them. Something happens along the way. Maybe he gets discouraged. Maybe he's bored. Maybe he's tired of it. Maybe he's just embarrassed about sharing the gospel. The Bible doesn't say. He gives up and goes home. He goes back to Jerusalem. He quit. Whatever decision he made as he dedicated his life to the Lord, at that moment he said, I'm done. Now they're back at their home base in Antioch, right? Now they're back. And now they're ready to go out on a second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas were talking, let's go do this. They're like, yeah, let's go. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. He's different. Paul says, I don't think so. Look at verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas. That word there, there arose a sharp disagreement. If we go back to the original language, there was great bitterness that leads to anger. There was a stirring up of anger. From what you know about the apostle Paul... Here's the spiritual guy, maybe the most spiritual man we know, the greatest Christian that we could believe, that we understand, that we know of in the Bible, the greatest witnesser ever. He gets in an argument. He gets in an argument with Barnabas, this guy who is an encourager. Their disagreement is so great. Their argument is so great over John Mark that they what? They get in an argument and they split. 
And so why do two teams go out? Why do two missionary teams go out from that church in Antioch? Why? Because two guys who were some of the most spiritual Christians in Christian history were mad at each other, got angry at each other, and went in different directions. Wow. Very quickly, what would we learn from that? Here's an awesome event. Two teams going in two different directions, taking the gospel where it's never been, two different directions instead of one. Maybe something we could learn is sometimes God allows personal conflict to happen in order to spread the gospel. This awesome event takes place because two of the most spiritual men in the Bible, in the New Testament, got angry at each other and wouldn't work together. Then there's an awesome, another awesome event that takes place. That second awesome event that takes place is in chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Turn over there and look at what... So here's the question. Here's the second awesome event. Here's the question. How did Paul have the vision to go to Macedonia? Wouldn't that be awesome if God spoke literally to us, verbally to us, exactly what he wanted us to do? That would make a lot, life a lot easier, wouldn't it? There'd be a lot less confusion about what does God want me to do in the future if God just said, here's a guy, help us. Okay. How did it happen? In these, in these verses at night, Paul has a vision of a Mas Macedonian man, a Greek man, asking Paul to preach the gospel to Macedonians. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? Verses six and seven. Look at that. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay. And when they went up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here's the map. So here's what happened. Look at this again. We get an idea of what's going on here. That verse, verse 6 says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, right in the middle. They're looking for places to, to spread the gospel. Having been forbidden by whom? The Holy Spirit. God himself somehow, someway, forbid them to go where? To Asia, Western Turkey, right? Sort of like, no problem. There's a whole country left over. If we can't go west, I got it. We'll go north, right? So it says here, and when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go north. They attempted to go into Bithynia. See there, north and east of Mysia. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do it. I have no idea what the obstacle was or how the spirit of God stopped Paul in his tracks. But can you imagine when we are not afraid, when we're not afraid to accept the consequences of our actions, how many obstacles really are there out there? If I don't care about dying and spreading the gospel, how many obstacles are there in spreading the gospel? If I don't care about being arrested for spreading the gospel and preaching the gospel on a street corner, how many real obstacles are, there, are out there? Paul was one of those guys he was willing to accept whatever consequences there were for spreading the gospel. So in that case, what obstacles really, apart from God, none. But whatever happened there, Paul says, I'm going here to Asia. I'm going to spread the gospel here. God says, you're not going. No problem. I'm going to go up to here, to Bithynia. God says, you're stopping. This may be 
The Bible doesn't say for sure, but I wonder if this is maybe one of the only times in the Apostle Paul's life where for the first time and maybe last time and maybe only, I don't know, where Paul is confused about God's will. When you think of Paul, when you kids have grown up in church, you adults have been in church, pastors, when we think of Paul, we think of guy who's never confused. He always knows what to, what to do. Never scared, it seems. Always driven. Nothing stops him because he's willing to deal with the consequences of his actions. He doesn't care. And when that's the case and, guys, and, and he can't get in there, I wonder if Paul's like, what in the world is going on? I just want to share the gospel and I can't. I'm willing to go to jail. God won't really let me do that. Why? Because God wants him to go to Macedonia to share the gospel. What do we learn? What's the lesson there? Sometimes God goes against what we feel is common sense because he has a different sense for us. Or we might say it this way. Sometimes God closes really needy doors simply because he wants the gospel somewhere else. Did Bithynia, guys, do you suppose Bithynia needed the gospel? If Paul wanted to go there, you could probably say, yeah, they need the gospel. Mysia needed the gospel. Asia needed the gospel. God said no in every one of those places. Why? Did those people need the gospel? Absolutely. But for some reason that only God knows in his, what we just sang about and talked about, in his sovereignty says, I know these places are needy. I want you here. So he gives Paul a vision of a Macedonian man in the night. And Paul says, I'll go. It would have been really good to preach in Asia. It would have been really good to preach in Bithynia. God says, no, you're not going to either place. Sometimes God does that and we don't know why. That's the second awesome event, comes through Paul's confusion and God closing really, really, really needy doors because he wants the gospel somewhere else. We come to that third awesome event, the story of this lady named Lydia. She accepts Christ and the first Baptist church of Philippi is formed in her house. Awesome. How did that happen? We look down in these next verses. Verses 11 and 15 tell the story. Where did Paul and Silas meet her? They met her by a river praying and worshiping God with her lady friends. So what's the problem with that? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 we read, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought, to, so Luke is with him, we here, we sought to go into Macedonia, modern day Greece, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They go into Philippi. And then we read in verse 13, skipping down to 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to women who had come together. And there, Lydia accepts Christ. First Christian in Philippi. Awesome. What's the problem there? In Paul's vision, Paul had a vision of what? A Macedonian man. What we know about the Apostle Paul, when he would go and preach the gospel, where was the first place in each 
place he went where he would go and preach the gospel. He would go into the synagogue, right? Why? Because in the synagogue, he would meet Jewish people, and that would be his first contact in spreading the gospel. Where is he on the day when he normally would be preaching in the synagogue? He's at a riverside speaking to a bunch of women. Why? He has a vision of a Macedonian man. He goes into Philippi. That Macedonian man isn't even there. There's not even, what is it? You know what it takes to form a synagogue? It would take 10 men, 10 families with men as leaders of families to form a synagogue. There weren't even that enough to form a synagogue. Paul has a vision. God leads Paul with the vision of a Macedonian man. Great, I'm going to Macedonia. He goes to Macedonia. He goes into Philippi. That guy ain't even there. So Paul ends up where? At a riverside. He hears maybe rumor or stories of a group of women who go to a riverside and pray and worship God. How do you suppose Paul felt? He has a vision of a Macedonian man. He goes into Philippi. That guy ain't there. Can you, can you see where I'm going here? How do you suppose Paul felt in that very moment? What in the world am I doing here? What? Maybe not. And what's the lesson? The lesson is sometimes God's plan involves, frankly, disappointment. Sometimes God's plans for our lives involve disappointment and dashed expectations in order for the gospel to, those, to go to those whom he has already prepared. I have no doubt in my mind, I can't say that this is absolute gospel truth, that this is actually, because the Bible doesn't say. Maybe it's better to say, I believe Paul was very disappointed. He goes to Macedonia, and that guy ain't there waiting to accept Christ as a savior. But God still had something good. Personal conflict, closed doors that are super, super needy just to go somewhere else. Disappointment, dashed expectations. What's the fourth awesome event? That fourth awesome event, the question could be asked, how was the demon-possessed girl in the next set of verses set free from her demon possession? Let's pick up in verses 16 and 17, starting 17 better. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This girl was demon possessed and she made her owners a lot of money because in her demon possession, those demons inside her would allow her and cause her to be able to spit out some kind of fortunes and prophecies. Keep reading. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. What's wrong with that? Typically, you don't want a crazy person standing behind you, introducing you. Keep reading. And she kept doing this for many days. Many days, we don't know. It was more than one, it was more than two, it was more than three. Many days, we keep reading. Paul, having become greatly what? What's the next, what's that verse? Paul, having become greatly, in verse 18, 
<laughs> annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. That's really interesting. Paul goes into Philippi. He doesn't find the guy he's looking for. He meets Lydia. He leads her to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now he's witnessing to other people. And there's this crazy girl that's following him around saying, these guys speak of the most high God for many days. Why didn't Paul do this the very first day when she started annoying him? Because why? Why is it many days? And only Paul only saw her as an object of being set free by the power of Jesus Christ after he was what? Annoyed. In Paul's mind, is this the girl that's going to be the proper goal for the gospel in Philippi? It doesn't seem so. He had an opportunity on day one, he didn't take it. He had an opportunity on day two, he didn't take it. He had an opportunity on day three, he still doesn't see her as the target for the gospel message in Philippi. It's only when what? He's annoyed. This girl comes under the power of Christ. We believe that she was saved that day, not because of Paul's burden for her, but because of Paul's what? Annoyance. What could we possibly learn? Here's an awesome event this, that takes place. This girl is set free from demon possession. She becomes a child of God under the power of Christ, set free from how, who knows how long she's been under the power of Satan and his forces. Wow, that's awesome. And it only happened because Paul was annoyed with her. What could we possibly learn from, from this story in 2023? It might be something like this. God, sometimes God plans God's plan involves frustrating, annoying circumstances. And I might add people to enter our lives for the purpose of spreading the gospel. People who annoy us to death. Maybe that's the exact person that God wants you to preach the gospel to. People that drive you nuts. That's, guys, that's, the example of scripture. There's another awesome event that takes place, and this, spends, this is really where the bulk of the chapter is, that story of the Philippian jailer, he and his whole family being saved and that night, how does this awesome event take place? How did that Philippian jailer and his whole family come to know Jesus as Savior? How did that happen? Well, we know that Paul and Silas led him to the Lord and his whole family, right? How did that happen? According to the following verses, after Paul and Silas rescued this girl from her demon possession, her owners realize, her owners understand they have lost their cash cow. They have lost their easy income. So they cause a riot. Paul and Silas are grabbed by this riot. You could say it's arrested, but they're just grabbed by an angry mob. They weren't really arrested at that time. They're just grabbed by an angry mob. And in verse, according to verse 22, we won't read it, they're stripped naked and beaten, stripped and beaten and thrown in prison. And then we pick up in verse 35. Follow me with verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. 
And the, trailer, and the jailer reported that these, these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let, go, let you go. What's going on here? We've skipped a whole bunch. What happened? So we, we understand what happened, right? Paul and, Paul and Silas, they're, throw, they're stripped naked. They're beaten with their sores, their pain, their embarrassment of being naked. They're thrown into this dungeon. In those days, the dungeon would have been underground, dark, cold, damp, and they're strapped in chains on their back on the floor. The Bible says, if we had time to read it, they were singing and praising God in the middle of the night. Remember what happened? How does that, what happened? In the middle of the night, God causes an earthquake to take place. An earthquake shakes that dungeon so that the doors come off their hinges. Everyone is free to go if they want to. No one goes anywhere. The jailer calls for a light. He goes in and there Paul and Silas say to him, don't kill yourself. At that moment, he pulls out his sword. He's going to kill himself because people can escape. And if they escape, his life will be taken either by him or by the people over him. He's ready to kill himself. Paul and Silas cry out in the night, don't kill yourself. Don't harm yourself. Don't do anything. We're all here. That jailer runs in and we know, what, what did that jailer ask? What must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your whole family. The jailer takes Paul and Silas out of that jail in the middle of the night. He takes them to his house, which would have been very close by. He cleans their wounds. He cleans them up. Paul and Silas witnessed to that Philippian jailer's whole family. The whole family accepts Jesus Christ that night. The, the jailer takes them back to the jail. And there they are in the morning. So that as we read, the magistrates, the, the heads of the police, the heads of the city, in the morning, they send for Paul and Silas to be released. 30, and verse 36, the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and they do, and they now throw us out secretly? No! Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they had heard that they were what? Roman citizens. What happened to Paul and Silas? They were stripped naked in front of that crowd. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail. And everything that happened to them was what? As Roman citizens. Illegal. Everything that happened to Paul and Silas that day and that night was illegal according to Roman law. I got a question. Was Paul a Roman citizen the day before when he was being stripped naked? You'd think so. Was he a Roman citizen when he was being beaten? You'd think so. He, was he a Roman citizen? Could he have let on that he was a Roman citizen when he's being thrown into jail for, for no cause? You'd kind of think so. Why didn't he say anything? until the next morning. Because singing the songs about God's sovereignty 
in the Bible are more than just songs. Singing songs where we say to God, I'm willing to suffer. And the lives of these guys in first century Christians, it was more than just a song that makes us feel good at camp. Having our legal rights where we have the rights to do things. And if we use those rights, it may take us out of the position to preach the gospel to those who God has led us to. Maybe isn't always what God wants. What could we possibly take away from this? Here's this awesome event. What could we take away? In one way, it's really awful to think about, but it's absolutely true, and it's simply this. Sometimes God's plan, sometimes God's plan involves pain, suffering, guys, and even injustice for the purpose of spreading the gospel. God allowed Illegal things, embarrassment, pain, hurt to happen to Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas allowed it to happen to them because somehow they had some idea that this was all under God's plan. And there was frankly someone maybe even in jail who needed Christ that night. So what's the point? Looking, you guys, looking at Acts 15 and 16 and seeing the difficulties that took place in order for Paul and Silas to end up in Philippi, in a prison, at night, beaten, in pain. Quite frankly, I got some questions that come to my own mind. Let me ask them aloud. Whose, whose sin caused all these problems to happen to Paul and Silas? Are these problems that take place in Paul's life, the conflict, the closing of really needy doors, disappointment, dashed expectations, frustrations, illegal things, are these all a result of Paul's sin? Had Paul done something really bad so God is punishing him? No. When the doors started closing in different areas and problems are arising everywhere Paul turns, would Paul, you guys, would Paul have been right to conclude that these closed doors mean that God just wants me to go home and work a normal job? The door's closed. I guess my mission opportunity is done. I can go home and make some money now. Paul says, no. Did anything, did anything to this point in Paul's journey happen according to his original plan? Nope. So looking at the big picture of Acts chapter 15 and 16 and seeing both the trials and the difficulties and the pain and the suffering and the awesome events that take place at every turn. 
What should this teach us about our God? We have to conclude what? We have to conclude that God uses interruptions, problems, frustration, crisis, pain, disappointment, crushed hearts, broken hearts, tears, toil, and even injustice and illegal, illegal things. God uses all these things to direct and change the course of our lives for the purpose of what? Spreading the gospel of hope in Christ alone to places that otherwise would not have it. If everything went according to Paul's plan, who knows if the gospel goes to Philippi? But it did. Based on Acts 15 and 16, what is one question that we might need to ask ourselves if we're talking about, are we serious about writing for the brand? Are we serious and are authentically writing the brand discipleship, being a true, serious, authentic follower of Jesus Christ? What, frankly, what might we need to ask ourselves? I know, frankly, this kind of message, this is really geared to kids who are, who are thinking seriously about being a serious follower of Christ. What question might we need to ask ourselves? Or how about this, frankly? Am I willing to suffer for Christ? We all want comfort. I want comfort. I like comfort. We all want a peaceful life. But how much effort, for, guys, how much effort do we expend in avoiding that which God would use in our lives to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? How much time do we spend praying for God to take away that which he put into our life, that struggle, that problem, that suffering, that annoying person, that annoying circumstance, whatever it might be. How much time do we spend in prayer meeting and in youth group praying for God to take away the very thing that he put into our lives so the gospel would go somewhere else? We ask God, God, use me. And then when he puts something in our lives that can be used for him, God, take it away. We all want God to do awesome. According to the history of Christianity, how does God do awesome? Through conflict, through disappointment, through discouragement through closed doors, through frustration, through annoyances, and even through injustice. That's how God does awesome. Because we in our own character and our own nature, if God gives us comfort, we'll loathe in it forever. We all want that stuff. And when God sends these things into our lives for the purpose, 
for the purpose of putting the gospel where it's never been. How often do we got asked to take, ask, ask God to take it away as soon as it comes? I spent time talking about my mom and her deal, dealing with cancer and how God took my mom when she was 63, 2007. Not very old. At the first, my first four years on the mission field, we went to the mission field the first time in 2003. We were in the, on the mission field not even two months. We had just got to Thailand full time, ready to start. I get a phone call from my parents. My mom had already fought off breast cancer twice. We get a phone call. My, my dad gives the phone to my mom and she said, hey hon, I got something to tell you. Doctors have found cancer in my bone. Bone cancer, the good part is it's slow moving cancer. The bad part, there's no cure, there's no treatment for bone cancer. So she's, that's what she said. It's not an emergency now, but we have, we have an end date. That stunk. I like to think of a really spiritual word, but there's not. It stunk. I, I got off the phone, and I cried all day. I spent about six hours in my bed crying angry at God. And finally I had, you know how at churches these days we have like a child dedication ceremony? Little kids, you know, and the parents come up and they, tell, they promise they dedicate their child to the Lord, but they also dedicate themselves to raising their child in the ways of God. I had a mom dedication ceremony and I gave, <laughs> I gave my mom to God. And then we went about our work and the cancer was slow. So that a typical term in our, that, those days was four years. We almost made it to the four years, but just about three months shy of that four-year goal we had of being on the mission field, get a call, and the call was, it's close. Mom's close. It's time to come home. When we got home, my mom was, the cancer was just absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. So she was on so much pain medication just to deal with the pain that she didn't remember my name anymore. She would talk about me, but she never would talk to me. It's brutal. There was one day I had to, my dad taking care of my mom. I had to drive across Cleveland to the other side of Cleveland about an hour away to pick up another script of her, her pain medication. So I get in the car and I go over to this doctor's office. I've never been there before. I don't know these people. And it's this little walk into the doctor's office and there's this little glass window. You can't go right in and talk to a doctor. There's this little glass window. The nurse slides the glass window open. Boop. Hi, what's your name? I said, my name's Nate Beckman. I'm here to pick up a, a script for Paula Beckman. She says, hold on. She gets up. She's behind this, this locked door, this glass window. She gets up. She walks through one door, walks through another door, and then comes out into the lobby. She sticks out her, she just took out her hand. She said, Nathan, it's been a pleasure knowing your mom. Because when my mom was there and she was dying, and the doctor has to tell her these new, this news, she says, it's okay. God's good. And he's got a plan. And even in those times when my mom is dying, she had that opportunity to share the hope of Christ with that doctor and that nurse. So that nurse got up out of her chair and came and shook my head and said, it's been a pleasure knowing your mom.
I prayed for God to take away my mom's cancer. God, God knew better, and he didn't. And the gospel went out to places it wouldn't have before. Okay. Does God want us to suffer? That's kind of a difficult question. Does he want us to? I don't know. Let me ask you this, though. Is suffering a necessary part of every Christian life? He said, does God want us to suffer? I don't know. Is suffering a necessary part of every Christian life? Well, if we're going to follow the word of Jesus, the answer is what? Yeah. Because anyone who would follow Jesus wouldn't be treated any different than the master. It simply comes down to this, that every Christian... We talk about how, for those of you who maybe are still on the fence, am I going to trust Christ or am I not going to trust Christ? That's the best thing you could ever do. Absolutely true. I ain't going to lie to you. There's, a whole, there's another part that if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to be treated like Christ did if you're serious about it. We've all, I, I bet there's a bunch of us here tonight that have made decisions, maybe even at camp over the years. It's kind of like, surrendering or dedicating our lives and we're dedicating our lives for the awesome i would i would love it i would god i'll dedicate my life if you want me to do this 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 and it, we think of the awesome things guys how do we get to awesome through conflict disappointment frustration annoyances guys and even suffering that's the case do you still want to ride the brand? That's really the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Do you still want to ride? Because why? Authentically, if we're serious about it, if we're really going to be authentic and we're going to be serious about riding for the brand, riding is going to be involved. That brand's going to involve what? Suffering. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In the quietness of this moment, let the truth sink in. Ask yourself can you, serious questions. Can you be honest with yourself? And I'd simply like to ask you this way. I'm going to maybe ask, a two different, ask for two different kinds of maybe responses. If tonight you've heard this, and this is your first time, you've, you've never made a decision like this before, and you say to yourself, and you would say, and, and this might be even your public testimony, I don't really want to suffer, but that's, if that's what it takes, if that's what God wants from me, I'm willing if that's what, I don't want to, but if, I, if that's what God wants for me, I'm willing to suffer 
for Christ. Would you, and this is your first time saying it. Would you just stand up? Every head bowed, eye closed. Would you just stand up? If this is your first time, stand. Anyone else? Stand. I'm willing to suffer. If that's what God wants, I'll do it. Stand. Anyone else? I don't want to, but if I have to, and that's what God wants in order for me to follow Christ, I'll do it. I'll suffer. Stand. I'm not asking to suffer, but if that's what it needs, because I'm, I'm serious about following Christ, I'll do it. Stand. If this, you've never made a decision like this before. Stand. Praise the Lord. Are there others? Are there others? Next, if you've made a decision like this in the past and you say, I'm still serious about it today, would you stand with these who have stood for the first time? Praise God. If you've made this decision in the past, stand. If you can't say it, okay. If you're not ready for that, okay. Praise God. As you stand here, you say, I don't want to suffer, but if I have to, I'm willing to suffer for Christ. That would, you're, you're, you're saying also, I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything because that's part of the deal. I'm giving it all because I'm serious about riding for the brand. I'm authentic. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go anywhere, do any, anything. Is, it, is, that, is that where we are? serious about that praise God Lord put your hand of grace on us right now praise God for this group would you use this group to do something special from these days forward help them God I pray help them to understand from this day forward that when the frustrations come this might be their opportunity to spread the gospel when the pain comes, when the suffering comes, when the frustration, help them to see this may be opportunities to live for God, to spread the gospel. They put themselves out there. Right now, they're special targets of Satan. Protect them. But use these lives to do something that hasn't been done before, we pray. We want you to do awesome things. We understand that the awesome happens through frustrations and suffering and pain. Use it. I pray this in all, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please all stand.